Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Through together and let's just let's just get into this today i got too much stuff up here so forgive me i got stuff all over the place we're gonna go to the book of rome romans 8 today it's gonna be our scripture and you can stand if you like you stay seated it doesn't matter this is more of a relaxed situation so i don't care a bit if you stay seated it's perfectly fine with me we'll read through verse 9 the word of the lord and um those of you who haven't been to the life class yet, we encourage you to take notes. Any questions you may have, because once we, I will stop sooner than, than what I typically would on a Sunday morning, and we're going to give space for questions. If you have any questions or something you would like us to talk about during life class, write that down and give it to me. If you don't want your name on it, write it down and stick it in my briefcase. Stick it somewhere I can find it. Uh, Whatever, it may be being something you don't want to address from here, but you just got questions because we want people to learn to live life at its best. So let's read this. There, there's therefore, Romans 8 and 1, there's therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after um, the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. One more verse here in Romans. Be ye not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And this is our theme for our life class. That thief cometh not, but for steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life, that, that they might have it more abundantly. So, with that said, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. We didn't have a prayer. Let me give you a little introduction to this today. <clears throat> Again, it is my desire as pastor of this church that we are not the Christian, we don't live that Christian life that is like that dwindling little stream that barely gives enough existence, evidence that we are having existence. But it's, we want to live life that is overflowing with spiritual blessings, redeemed with peace, joy, and the power of the Holy Ghost. So in our life classes, we are going to learn together how to live life on purpose so this is life 101 today last sunday we talked about a huge hang-up 
for many born-again Christians to be able to walk in that abundant life part. We got life, but we want to walk in the abundance of life where we, we're the head and not the tail. We feel like the head, not the tail. So what we talked about last week was forgiveness, and that opened up another subject with a question that worthy of just this morning by itself. So today we're going to talk about this. And you've probably seen it on Facebook. If you didn't, here it is. We're going to talk about forgiving yourself. It's a huge thing. So, in a book by Richard Hofers, he his book called Will Daylight Come? He gives an illustration of how sin enslaves and how forgiveness frees us. So listen to this little story to kick us off today. The story says a little boy visiting his grandparents was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit the target. He came back to his grandma's backyard. He spied a, her pet duck. And on impulse, he took an aim and let fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching him. Sally had seen it all, but she said absolutely nothing. After lunch, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked the children if they wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but... I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, Sally whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days, Johnny doing... Both his chores and Sally's, finally, he could not stand it anymore, and he went to Grandma and confessed that he killed the duck. I know, Johnny, Grandma said, Give him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgive you, and I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. Living a life of unforgiveness not letting Jesus forgive you, and not even forgiving someone else or yourself will absolutely enslave you. But if we'll live a life full of praise and focus our worship to Jesus, and we can take the focus off ourselves, we're going to find a purpose in our life, a purpose for living. Past sin biblically restricts us from uh, serving in certain capacities of our life. But it don't keep us from finding and doing what God has given us purpose for. But the devil will use shame, shame of our sins, from past, present, and even a fear of the future to keep us enslaved in shame. Today, we're going to take a journey together, all right? Have something for all of us. This is actually something I've... I've taught the essence of this I got to looking I taught some of this back in 2011 this is a part of Brother Chester Wright 
he does a shame conference. You probably can find it on um, YouTube. This is your paper. You can keep it. You probably can find it on YouTube. You probably can find it um, on podcast. A lot of different places in its whole essence. But I have a sil- syllabus here. If you'll notice, you're starting at page 44. But um, the latter part of this deals with our subject today. So we're going to talk about it for just a second. But before we get actually into that part of it, again, that's yours. You can write some questions aside. You can use it for notes, whatever. But we're going to talk about this for a few minutes, and then we'll, uh, if there's any questions, comments. And if it, we don't get done today, we'll go We'll talk about it again next week. That's the whole purpose of this. So first, let's talk about this. Let's talk about shame. Um, Let's talk about shame. Because this is a big part of not forgiving yourself is dealing with shame. So shame is basically, we conclude that shame is, it, it puts a big emphasis on our um, humiliation, we feel a loss of esteem, shame brings the ideal of um, humiliation, embarrassed from a sense of that we feel inadequate, we feel inferior. Shame brings, includes pain that's caused by losing the respect of other people. Um, shame is the ultimate result of me losing respect for myself. And shame is never harmless. It's, uh, in, it's not easily ignored in our own life. And it will not go away of its own accord. And the person with shame, you're not going to outgrow it. Um, and you can't just get it in your subconscious mind and think, well, it's going to go away. Because if it does, it becomes more dangerous, more destructive, more depil- uh, beating you down, and it will destroy us. And unforgiveness for ourselves is a place of self-rejection, and basically it is shame. So shame says to us this, you are a mistake. You are flawed and defective as a human being. You'll never be good enough and ultimately be rejected by everyone as soon as they find out what you really are. You are a failure. This is what shame does. And there's a whole lot more with some of that, but for time's sake, I'm going to skip to where you guys are, which is page 44. And what I'm going to do I'm going to kind of walk us through it. We're going to talk about it. And um, if you have questions or comments, maybe jot it down, mark it. If it's something you just feel like can't wait, we'll, we'll hit it right there, okay? So let's, let's talk about this. The deception of shame. Uh, I'm going to kind of somewhat read it, some of it, point to some of it, that you can take this and you can, in its entirety you can study it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it all, but we're going to talk about some of this. Again, this is from Brother Chester Wright's, it's called a shame conference, and when I went to something, I actually got this whole entire syllabus, so uh, I've got the whole entire thing here, it's the only one I got, so I might eventually make copies for it all for whoever may need it, but um, 
Deception of shame. This is beyond that first paragraph. If God forgives us so readily, why do I feel the need to constantly repent over and over again for the things of my past that God's word says he's already forgiven? Because I'm dealing with shame, not guilt, which is condemnation. Our text today that I read, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law of Spirit is Christ Jesus, made me free from the law of sin and death. I chose this scripture because it talks about this condemnation, this, this shame that comes on us. And the difference between condemnation and conviction, I've said it, but for this sake, let me say it again. Condemnation comes from the devil. It's an accusation. It tells you you're flawed, you're messed up, you can't fix it, and gives you no hope. That's what condemnation does. Conviction, on the other hand, um, and that's why it says there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in God, the Spirit's working our life like it should, we shouldn't feel that condemnation. But yet, as humans, we do anyway, right? But through the Spirit, we have conviction, all right? And conviction says, yeah, you're wrong, you've messed up, but it gives you a way to fix it. God gives you a way to fix it. It don't leave you hopeless. So, um, trying to read it? <laughs> Romans 8, 1 and 2. But I went all the way through 9 on that verse. But So, we talked about, you've heard me say, and the scripture says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. I, myself, you, we are brothers, we are sisters. So, he accuses me to me and that ends up causing me to not forgive myself and the reason we don't forgive ourselves is because we don't feel like i'm worthy or i can't i'm i can't do it and what he does he tries to undermine as we see here and you'll see notes probably as i where i've taught this before i've underlined different things but he tries to undermine my faith in god by telling me how unworthy i am in first john 3, 19 through 22. Again, I'm, I'm just walking through this. So what the scriptures and stuff I'm telling you, they're on this page. When I get ready to go to the next page, I'll tell you. Right now, this is the first page, 44. 1 John 9, or 1 John 3, 19 through 22. The scripture says, And hereby we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are uh, pleasing in his sight. Now, that's the King James Version. The Amplified Version we see is right under that. You see it's got Amplified Version right beside the verse text. And plus, Brother Wright has put some notes in there to even put some more clarity to it. So, let's read that. So I'm going to read the same scriptures, but from the Amplified, but plus with notes put in there from Brother Wright. Um, the, so he says, anything that's in the dark bold there, that is what Brother Wright's kind of helped. Well, I, no, actually it's not because verse 20 there. But anyway, you'll, you'll probably, you can compare it to the scripture. But this is, this is how he's put this. He's, and this, this helps us a lot with this scripture. He said, by this we, sit, we shall come to know or perceive or recognize or will understand that we are 
of the truth and can reassure or quite consolate, uh, consolate, I'm saying that probably wrong, or pacify our hearts in his presence, God's presence. Whenever our hearts in tormenting, that is self-accusation, makes us feel guilty and condemns us. When our heart makes us feel guilty and condemns us, that's that feeling that we can't forgive ourselves. For we are in God's hands, for he is above and greater than our conscience, which he's talking about is our heart. This is what he's saying our heart is. It's our conscience. And he knows or perceives, he understands everything. Nothing's hidden from him. God knows everything about us, okay? And beloved, if our conscience, or again, our heart, does not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty, he's expounded on it, or condemn us, we have confidence, we have assurance and boldness before God. And we receive him whatsoever we ask because we watchfully obey his orders. And I'm going to turn to the next page, 45. Just flip your page there. Observe his suggestions, injunctions, follow his plan for us. Um, habitually practice what is pleasing to him. So what he's saying here is, yes, our heart, our conscience, if it's not controlled by the Lord, if we don't practice what it takes to please him, our conscience itself will condemn us. It'll make us feel like I'm unworthy. It'll make me feel like I'm not good enough. Then there's, there's two more uh, sections here, First John. He's just got it in two different translations. I'm not going to go over those for time's sake. Let's jump on down to where it says one there. It says, even though. So, even, God, even though God has forgiven me, I don't feel forgiven. Why? Because this is the thing. The Bible says God is just and faithful to forgive our sins. So, we go to him and say, Lord, will you forgive me? He forgives us. But because we don't always forgive ourselves, we're still remembering that thing we've done. We're not accepting the Lord's forgiveness. So then we start feeling this thing that there, 1A there says, because I've not forgiven myself, I deal with shame. Shame then undermines that faith that God has forgiven me and prevents God from being able to answer my prayers. So as the verse said, my heart condemns me. My conscience that, oh, I've, I've done this bad, and God can't forgive this because it's so bad because the devil's accusing me and saying you're not good enough. So I'm hoping this is making some sense. So shame, I got a little star asterisk by it, you see there. D, give Satan access to my thoughts. So when shame comes in, I start verbally, my actions, whatever. The devil can't read our minds, but he can read our actions. So he can't. Read what you're thinking right now. So we got to be careful because he's been in this long enough. He can read your actions and like, oh, yeah, they're not getting this because they got my shame is still on them. So, but we see 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So that's the King James Version. Right under it, we see the um, God's Words translation. 
and lest he fall in the reproach of the snare of the devil, the good word translation says, or he might become the victim of disgrace, insults, that the devil sets a trap for him. We see right under it, the living Bible puts that part, you see the bold part. He says, so that Satan can trap him in many accusations and leave him without freedom to lead his flock. We turn to the next page. And we're going to talk about this reproach a little bit. Everybody with me so far? Okay. And if you need questions, jot it down. We can go back to it. And I'll try to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about it. If we don't, we'll talk about it next Sunday. That's my plan. This is the whole purpose of this. We're learning this together. So, what he's done here, he's put reproach at the top of the page there. And he's got Strong's. What this is is from the Strong's Biblical Concordance. And he's telling what number all it is. But he's telling what reproach means. It means, um, I'm not even sure what that word actually is. Contumely. Well, let's look at that Webster Dictionary right under it. It tells us what that is. Haughty, contemptuous, rudeness, insulting, humiliating treatment or language. Scornful insult. It said, the lies he tells me about myself overwhelm me, and I allow him to capture me in his snare. So what happens? He lies to us. You can't be forgiven of that. Everybody's going to find out about this. You're going to be this. And he begins to, ha we've all been there, right? Constant accusation. You're not good enough to go to church. You're not good enough to worship. Just all this stuff constantly. What you've been through or what this has done to you. So the devil goes to sow seed. That verse, this is E here. The devil's goal is to sow seed of lies to me about myself. Then step back and allow me to finish his work for him. So if he can get us in this trap of this shame and condemning our own self, he can step back and his job is done as long as we continually beat ourselves up with shame and feeling like we don't, we're not worthy. So right under that says, he, talking about the devil's ultimate goal, the ultimate triumph is for me to stand in opposition to myself, dutifully repeating all the accusations he, the devil, has implanted or put in my mind. So, he puts that in us, we grab a hold of it, and we take off running with it. And the devil's job's done for the moment for us because he don't have to do anything because we're doing it ourselves. We're letting shame beat us up and make us think that we cannot be forgiven. So, 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26, he says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth. Verse 26 says, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So right under it, we see oppose. Again, he's got strongs. He's trying to tell us what this word means. So it is to set, um, to set oneself opposite or dispositions. Oppose from the vines means to place oneself and opposition or pose. So basically, he's just telling us what this means when we take this deposition against ourselves. I take Satan's side in the argument against my soul's well-being. I'm agreeing with the devil that, yeah, I can't be saved, or yeah, I'm not worthy. And the Webster Dictionary dif 
dictionary defines this. I'm having trouble with my words today. Uh, disposition as inclined or as dispute, fond of arguing, contentious. Webster defines dispute as to argue, debate, question. Uh, we can read all this right here. Question the truth, doubt, opposition. Let's go to the next page here. Be page 47. Presented in an angry, heated manner. Basically saying it's, it's causing dispute among ourselves. So, three there says, when I allow Satan to coerce me or convince me to, into opposing myself through a verbal assault conducted by me upon myself, then I open myself to being taken captive by Satan at his will. So, Think about that. We, how many times, I know I've been there. We go through this process. He accuses me. I believe his accusation against, instead of embracing the word of God, and the next thing you know, I'm full of shame. I'm beating myself up. I don't need you to do it. I don't need anybody else to do it because the devil done told me that I'm worthless, no good, and, I'll never, and I'm, I don't think I'll ever get any better. So I'm beating myself up. He steps back and just lets me do his, do his job, and then I become captive to Satan because that's what his will is. So, then we see we're going to talk about how we have a recovery from this snare of shame. And what we got to understand when we say when we don't forgive ourselves, the reason we don't is because we're dealing with shame. All right? So, let's talk about this. The same scripture read a second ago. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, God prevents you, he will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. In other words, he's going to let us have repentance that will acknowledge the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by it. So he's telling us we can recover out of this snare, which is shame of beating ourselves up. We can recover from it. The word recover here is to... Become sober again. You'll see, I made a note above this. It may be faded on your printout. But I got people are drunk um, from the devil's lies. We become so drunk by the devil's lies to us that we can't think straight. Because recover means to return to soberness from a state of delirium or drunkenness. So when we're not, the opposite of sober is drunk. And when we're drunk, we're impaired by something else that causes us to not act the way we're supposed to. So we are drunk. People get drunk on the lies of the devil. And down here at the bottom, it says part of the error includes believing Satan's lies about who and what we are in God and his lies about the faithfulness and effectiveness of God's forgiveness and cleansing us in our lives. So what he's doing, he's trying to convince us that God can't forgive us. So why? We can't forgive ourselves. So we walk in this shame. And this is what he's trying to say. So the way we're going to do this, we've got to recover. We've got to become sober again from the lies. We're drunk on the lies. So two down there. The source of this recovery is a sound mind. First uh, Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Here we see this sober again. Sober, 
soberly or sound mind. That's what the vine said, that very last one down there. So this is the key. We're trying to become sober or we're not being under the influence of the devil's lies. And to become sober, it has to come by a sound mind. So let's go to the next page, 48. Just, he goes a little more talking about soberness. I'm not going to continue with that. Basically, it's just telling us we've got to have our thoughts right, all right? So look at D there. If we are to be free from Satan's influence, we must be freed from the intoxicating delusion of his lies that we have come under the influence of. And that delusion for any of us could be a lot of things, okay? So the Satan lies to us. We believe the lies. We tell ourselves these lies. And that become, makes us intoxicated on his lies and our thinking is not straight. So verse, not verse 3, but 3 here said, uh, well, actually, this is a paraphrase of 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. So look at 3. It said, God's not given us the spirit of timidity or spiritual paralysis, but the spirit of power, love, and sound mind. Literally from the Greek, it means a saved inner feelings that produce right actions. So, let me, I'm not going to read all the different versions of that. But basically, he's telling us, look, God's given us not fear, but we're supposed to have a sound mind when we accept salvation. So, fear here, we see down there under them other verses, is A, is timidity. It is derived from uh Implication basically saying fear is faithless. If you're not, if you don't have fear, you've lost faith in God. This is what it means. So at the bottom of it, fear, this timidity from the word study dictionary, we see all the different names for that. Fearful, timid, cowardness, timidity. Um, and we just see all of that. So it's always a bad sense. Uh, let me see. I didn't write some of this stuff. So. Basically, it's like phobias, lies. It's something that may have some truth in it, but it's not. All right, let's go ahead and go to the next page, 49. I'm going to be able to get to the place where we can discuss this. I hope you want to talk about it. If not, well, <laughs> we'll get through it. So, sound mind. Uh, so, how do we get to sound mind? We see B there from the Strong's. It says, discipline. Self-control. This is a sound mind. It's when we bring in our thoughts to captivity, to the obedience of Christ. It's when we begin to try to literally control our mind and bring it in control. And we can't always do that by ourselves. That's why we need the Lord and his word. So Strong says to make a sound mind, to discipline or correct, teach ourselves to be sober. Teach us that I can't be Believe in those lies. Um, we see right there, it says Strong's New Testament 4998. Sophron, it means self-controlled. Moderate as to opinion or passion. So, this is just, a whole lot of this is just talking about what all that means. So let's look where it says note down here. The literal and most specific source of thoughts or feelings referred to, referred to by the Greek word, do not, originate from the head but from the midriff or what it means is the inner man it's where the spirit our spirit dwells therefore god did not give us the spirit of timidity or fear but a spirit of right feelings right inner thoughts that produce right actions well that's all easy and said and done right so how do we do that 
Then he gives us some scriptures here. So let's look at it. Proverbs 23 and 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You've heard me talk about that many, many times. Uh, Eat, drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart. This is this midriff. This is this inner man. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Every issue we have in life mostly comes from our inner thinking, our thought process. Matthew 12, 20, 34, Jesus speaking, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the inner man, our thoughts, the mouth speaketh. So, if we turn to the next page, read this note here. It says, that which is in our heart will come out in our actions and our words. The spirit of a saved mind given us by the Lord is impartation of the ability to do what is right because our inner thoughts have been saved or healed. So, the teaching of the truth of God's love for us and the confirmation of the Holy Ghost bearing witness to our hearts will bring us to the point of deliverance. The whole point of this right here is talking about when we can really truly believe that no matter what we've done, Jesus has saved us. This is the whole point. That's not always easiest. It's not always easy just to do. But this is the whole point of why we battle this shame and this feeling like I'm not worthy. I can't forgive myself because we're we're riding that intoxication of the lies of the devil. And now that he talks about how we're saved from this shame. God's method of solving this problem of shame is very specific. And it's very effective. It's not based on psychology. It does, does not promote the idea that my problem is permanent and I've got to learn to cope with it. God is a healer. He is a deliverer. In the chapter preceding my text today, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the very next scriptures is that Romans 8 and 1. There's therefore no condemnation or lies of the devil for those who walk in the Spirit. So, number two there, it is his perfect will and plan to make each of us a new person. So his whole purpose, salvation is a continual process. He saves me from my sins. He's saving me from my sins. And he's going to save me from my sins. That's a constant process of us believing, continually believing that there is salvation for me. So we see all these scriptures. Let me go through them quickly so I can get to where we can talk about this. Second um, Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is a new creature, old things are passed away, all things become new. Galatians six fifteen, In Christ Jesus, rather circumstances avail of anything nor uncircumcision, but new creature is equal 20, 36, 26. He uh, says he's going to take away the stony heart. He said, I'm going to give you a new spirit, put it within you, take away the stony heart, and give you a new heart of flesh. John 3, 3, uh, except a man born again. He's talking about scriptures we hear about all the time, being born again. Ephesians 4, 23, 24. I'm not going to read all of it, but talking about putting off the old, but verse 24 says that you put on the new man. He wants to make us new. It is his will. So let's go to the next page, 51. He says one of the key elements is his plan to make us new is to neutralize the effects and the works of the kingdom of darkness and life. So what he's talking about is the lies of the devil. 
neutralize it. You know how you spell, you know, you change the cat litter and it stinks in the house or, or your hubby goes to the bathroom, stinks the house up, whichever you want to say. <laughs> you spray a neutralizer to make the smell go away. This is what he's talking about. We, the Word of God, his, his plan to neutralize the lies of the devil. Take it, make it non-effective to us. John 3, 8. He that condemneth sin is of the devil, but for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil is the lies he's telling us, okay? That's the whole point. So we just see here, destroy. I'm not going to go through all that. What's that do? It's to loose, dissolve, take all this away. I'm going to go through that quickly. You can go back and look at that better yourself later. But... Um, let, let me skip this part here. You can go back and kind of look at this where it talks about Lazarus. It's basically saying how although Lazarus came out of the grave and he was still dead, he had grave clothes on him, and he couldn't loose that himself. So sometimes we get in that place and we don't, why can't I get out of this? It's because we need the church to unwrap us and help us get out of it. And this is why I think this purpose of this class is going to help us. Uh, you see the very important bottom part. He was alive, but he wasn't free. There's a lot of people in the church that are alive, but they're not free. So we're trying to unwrap that today with this today. So let's go to the next chapter, 52. Let's jump on down to becoming immune to shame. How do we become immune, immune to shame? Um, Jesus was not subject to the lies of the devil's influence. Why? We see. He said, John 14, 30, I will not talk much to you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing on me. And then we just see a bunch of different versions where he just keeps saying this. Basically that the devil has no power over me. Uh, he has no power over me. Here's another one. He has nothing on me. No claim on me. And this basically is just giving a bunch of different scriptures. So let's go to the next page. And the reason he don't, he's not affecting me, he has no power over me. And we think that we can never be the place that the devil has no power over us. But I do think we can get to that place. It's a process. It don't happen overnight. So if we're on page 53, we look at A there. So Jesus made it clear why he enjoyed success against the Satan is, and why he had no fear of Satan. And over his influence, there was nothing in Jesus that Satan could use to overpower him. So we eliminate the lies of the devil out of our life. It is possible we can be like the Son of God, or Jesus, and have not have anything in us that gives the adversary influence or power over us. There's, it is possible. So, this is just, the very next bottom part is just talking about explaining this verses. So let's jump on over to 54. I knew there was going to be some jumping right here with this. Just try to get to where we need to be. You can study this more and go over this better. Let's go on 54 and jump down to God's method of dealing with shame. So, this is it in a good nutshell. Genesis 3 and 7. Uh, God's method of dealing with shame was demonstrating the Garden of Eden. What has happened? We know their eyes were open. We eat the fruit. That's what 3 and 7 is. Adam and Eve. Um, and to Adam and his wife, the Lord God made coats and clothed them. God took their shame away by taking what they were trying to cover themselves with, and he covered their nakedness with coats themselves. Okay? Let's go ahead and go to page 55. I was hoping I was going to have too much in this. I about got too much. So 
I'm going to just quickly go through this. And um, so basically this is a typology. The animals were most likely sheep that died. And he made coats, blood was shed, and covered them up. So then we see a difference between pardon and justification. So I'm quickly going through this so we can talk about it for a second. So there's a difference between this pardon and justification. He didn't just pardon them. The pardon, or this pardon, what it means is to forgive, pardon or uh, spare, take the sins away. Let's go to 56. Man, I've got too much in this, so forgive me. Um, let me just hit a high point here because the kids are up here and we need to talk about it. So let me get the cliff notes for the rest of this. So I want to give you a chance to talk about it. We'll probably talk about more about this next week. In short, with this, what God done at the, at the very beginning, when they sinned and they had to shame in their bodies, blood was shed, they tried to cover themselves, it didn't work. So what happened? He used blood to treat them just as they had never sinned. That's what justification is. When Jesus forgives you of your sins, what he does, he makes it as if you've never sinned. And the whole source of shame and making us feel like we can't forgive ourselves is the devil is making us feel like Jesus can't save me. That's why I can't forgive myself. So And a lot of people actually says this. The ideal that you can't forgive yourself is not even biblical. I don't agree with that. Because if people didn't feel that way, there has to be Bible in there. And there's a lot of stuff that you can read about it. So the whole point of overcoming this is getting rid of this shame is seen in the last part of this. We have to take the coat that the Lord wants to put on us. And the very last part you hear is when the prodigal son comes back, what did the, what did the father do? He covered him with a robe that says, look, I know you've messed up, but I don't care. You're my son. I'm going to cover you with my righteousness. And when we realize it doesn't matter what you've done and where you've been, he can cover you with his righteousness. And the reason we deal with, now this may be hard and this may be strong, but this is the key to forgiving yourself. The reason we deal with not being able to forgive ourselves is because we really don't think that Jesus forgave us. That is the essence of it. At least that's my study. So, talk to me. <laughs> we got a few minutes. And if we need to go back to this again next week, I don't care. But talk to me here. Um, let, let me, I got a question last week. I'm not going to say who brought it to me. Uh, but let me, let, me, let me address this. They may or may not be here. I'm just going to say that. And so they may hear this on the podcast. But uh, it was a question along the lines, if I understood it right, and, and it, the person's hearing this, they can, because I think this covers it in here. The person said, basically, you know, what about if, if I, I forgive, but it also hurts other people? The bottom line is, when God forgives you, you do what you need to do. Forgiveness wipes everything clean, all right? It wipes every, everything clean. Regardless of what anybody else, it's always right to forgive. It's always right to receive forgiveness. So, if you forgive, 
It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's between you and God and that individual. And that should cover that. So, talk to me. Questions? Thoughts? Brother Knott, moment? Hey, I want you kids to go back downstairs. Those of you who was up here, go back down. Give us a few minutes. You can hang out and drink coffee and pop for a second. Give us a few minutes. I've been recording. I can stop it right now. Let me stop it. Here's that morning. Are you at? Um, here, here's the thing. Let me try to address that. Um, because of other people's decisions and you feel trapped within that, it gives you that hopelessness of what good is life? What's the sense of going on? I'm bound by somebody else's. Um, the sermon, I, I kind of addressed some of that not too long ago. But no matter whether you're trapped in any kind of situation, the Lord loves you. He's going to forgive you. And even though you may feel in that trap place, um, don't hang your harp up. Otherwise, don't hang your worship up. I'm, I'd probably like to talk to you about that away from this setting. I have some things I think it might be some reasons for that. So, but that may help you with that. Any more questions or whatever we got on this? I meant to visit this some more. Because actually, what I may end up doing, there's more to the end of this um, beyond the parts that I got on this. Because the last part of this um, conference thing is... Um, it is, basically says this, it's the will of God for us to be whole. And the whole purpose of this feeling like I can't be forgiven, I can't forgive myself, is the ploy from the devil to make you feel incomplete and not full of life. And Jesus said, I come to give you life, not only life, life more abundantly. So, yeah, we feel saved, but we feel lost. Does that make sense? And that's, this is what this whole purpose of shame, shame on us, makes us feel like we cannot forgive ourselves because I'm not worthy. So it creates this place in us that we've, we're just stuck. So. And unless you're doing something, I need you to go back downstairs. Okay. We've got just another minute here. Thank you.
Okay. Well, just let, let me do this. We'll continue on this part on a podcast next week. God bless you.